It's pretty common for a TV show to go off the air because of how universally hated or disliked it becomes, either due to low ratings, savage criticism, or a combination of the two. This week's subject may have been taken off the air for some of those reasons, but also reasons that one would never expect. Where is it written that women in the sex industry can't go to movie premieres? Someone show me where. And now, you can't escape it. This is Tele-Hell. Okay, not gonna lie, folks. This may be one of our more complicated cases that we've seen here so far. In fact, so complicated this may be that I'm going to refer from time to time to another source of information in general. Because you screw up covering one TV show one time, and suddenly, you gotta watch your back. We'll get to that source in a moment and throughout the show. But first... Ladies and gentlemen, David Spade! Even when I say nice things, people think I might be kind of being a dick. Um, Like, this is me trying to be sincere in a real-life situation. That's such a great idea for a podcast. Many know him as the six-year veteran of SNL who wound up parlaying his wise guy shtick into a career spanning several dozen sitcoms, movies, talk shows, stand-up shows, and never-ending groveling to Eddie Murphy because he, too, made a mistake once. Look, children, it's a falling star. Make a wish. Yeah, yes, that's right. You make a Hollywood Minute Omelet, you break some eggs. But before all of that, Spade led the kind of childhood and adolescence that far too many people out there seem to have in common. The youngest of three brothers, David Wayne Spade, and the rest of his family moved from their native Michigan to Scottsdale, Arizona when he was only four years old. After which, his parents got divorced, and his mother raised the Spade brothers all by herself, sometimes skating to get by. But get by they did. Afterwards, young David graduated from Arizona State University with a degree in business, but to help pay for his way through school, he would start a career in stand-up at local comedy clubs throughout the state. I live in Scottsdale. When I go to Phoenix, the worst part about coming back into Scottsdale is seeing that sign that says, Now leaving Phoenix. Adios, amigos! Why? We're not in Mexico. Why do we need a Spanish tagline? All right, now leaving Phoenix would be enough for me. When you're in France, it would say, Now leaving Paris. Adios! Somewhere between all the schooling and performances, Spade found himself doing stand-up at the legendary Improv Comedy Club in Los Angeles, where one night in the mid-1980s, a talent agent was so impressed with Spade's material that he was able to get him his first movie role ever in Police Academy 4. You know, the good one. What are you doing? I'm going to get the guys and hang out at the mall. Let's go. Hey, man, I think these guys want to talk to you. From there, Spade kept plugging away with more bit parts and small roles while still performing his stand-up, until one day when one of those performances caught the attention of comedian Dennis Miller, who by that point was at his zenith on SNL. Miller convinced the show to hire Spade as a writer, in the hopes that it could transition into something on camera. The rest is history. Bye-bye. 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 Hey, you live here in Pittsburgh? Uh, no, actually, I'm here. Bye-bye. But Spade is not the only central figure in this story. We now need to give credit where credit is due to a fallen star of a different kind. Drake Sather, ladies and gentlemen, Drake Sather. You guys seen these uh, Meltdown Dog Biscuit commercials where they show the dogs being ashamed of their bad breath? These are very realistic. I think of my dog, we're concerned about his breath. He'd stop eating his own shit. You know, I... <laughs> I think that'd be a nice first step, you know, just to kind of get the fresh breath ball rolling, so to the speak. The late Drake Sather may not have been a household name, but his fingerprints were all over the world of comedy throughout the 90s. Also making his bones as a stand-up, Sather would find his calling as a writer for sitcoms and movies that were as much appreciated, unappreciated, and underappreciated all at the same time. He was Emmy nominated for his work on The Larry Sanders Show. After that season, Sather would then see himself in the writer's room of SNL during one of the show's most polarizing seasons, its 20th. Fortunately, he was already good friends with many of the people that worked there. 
including David Spade. After Sather would spend about three seasons being a man of multiple hats, a sometime bit player actor, writer, producer, supervising producer, and ultimately co-executive producer of NBC's News Radio, he and Spade would partner up for an idea that was based loosely on Spade's personal family life, the tale of a young man with two brothers whose parents split up when they were young. The twist this time around is that the long-absent father would suddenly reappear after finding out that his youngest son became one of the hottest stars in Hollywood. The thing about the father character is that he would pretty much take any preconceived notion about what it means to be a dysfunctional parent, microwave it, put it in a blender, microwave it again, put it in a freezer, and then be barbecued for good measure. In short, the guy was a mooching asshole who wanted to horn in on his son's life whether the son, his brothers, or anybody else in their lives wanted it or not. With a premise like that, who in their right mind would turn this show into a sitcom? Trick question. Because the show wasn't going to be your traditional sitcom with a studio audience and cameras, this one was going to be put to pen and ink. The year was 1997. While The Simpsons hit its arguable creative peak, another show debuted that benefited from having that show as its lead-in. Because of that, and in spite of how low-key it was in comparison, King of the Hill set off a tsunami effect in the world of Hollywood. Now that Fox had two animated hits on its hands, some of the other networks were none too eager to try and get primetime tunes of their own. While at the same time, Fox realized that they had to prepare for a war that they didn't even know they were starting. So they too started to stockpile. And for every Futurama, Family Guy, and the PJs that Fox had at its disposal, the other networks either had shows that were critically acclaimed but would see a better life in cable reruns, or something that appealed to absolutely nobody. NBC was one of those networks. And by sheer coincidence, the two people that we just mentioned were in pretty good with the network by the turn of the century. Drake Sather earning his credibility as a durable writer-producer, and David Spade being the star of a popular sitcom that aired around this time. Chewbacca speak a real language. Oh, God. Because in the Wookiee Dictionary, the verbs don't match. Is the force still with you? Is Skywalker Ranch really a Even more fortunate is the fact that both Spade and Sather ran among the same circles of talent, particularly the production company slash talent warehouse being run by two Hollywood heavyweights, Bernie Brillstein and Brad Gray, the same production company that would produce both News Radio, Just Shoot Me, and a slew of others that were on the air at that time. So, with all the talent that they'd need under one roof to voice the characters, including Spade himself voicing both the title character and the young son, putting the show together seemed ready-made. All that was needed was an animation house to help bring everything to life. Fortunately, for the sake of everybody knowing everybody in showbiz, Rilstein Gray was able to reach out to what was then Columbia TriStar Television, now Sony Pictures TV, the production company that not only distributed most of Rilstein Gray's output, but they also had a budding animation house called Adelaide Productions. Chiefly responsible for a number of kids' shows in the 90s, Adelaide would dip its toe in the waters of adult animation when they became responsible for Dilbert on UPN. All things considered in that network's history, Dilbert was a big enough success over there that in 1999, they were hired by NBC and David Spade's production company, Desert Rat Productions, to put this sort of biographical show together. And since this was to be an animated TV series, this meant that the production of a 13-episode first season would take roughly one year to fully produce, meaning that even if the show flopped, they were stuck with the fully produced shows no matter what. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the extent of what I know about this show. And for good reason, too. As we'll find out, this program, to be known as Sammy, is probably one of the most shallow TV rabbit holes we, or anybody else, has ever tried to dive through. Why? Because with the exception of a handful of people, this show has gone down in history as a show so forgettable that even the darkest and dustiest corners of a cursory Google search turns up with very little leads on the show's production. And once again, in light of recent events, we here at Telehell renew our commitment to getting details right, which is kinda hard to do when the details don't seem to be available to begin with. Fortunately, this brings up our backup information source. Over on YouTube, 
there's a user and lost media expert named L Supersonic Q. Back in November of 2020, he posted a video on this very topic and posed a simple question. How did a cartoon that aired on national TV and was produced by a celebrity end up getting completely lost? With permission from the man himself, here's L Supersonic Q's thoughts and musings, some of which you'll hear right now and others you'll hear later on. Take it away. When you think of media that's become lost from decades ago, there's a sense of understanding about how those topics fell through the cracks. Most things that have become lost from the year 2000 and onward have partially found material and pretty decent documentation. Yet somehow, a cartoon that aired nationally on NBC, twice for that matter, has fallen so far into obscurity that there's hardly any record of its existence. How is this possible? Let me introduce you to Sammy, a cartoon sitcom created by David Spade in the year 2000. It follows fictional characters James Blake and his father Sammy, who returns to freeload off of his son's success as a comedian, and attempts to rebuild James's fractured family in the process. The series was produced for NBC, and premiered on August 8th to little fanfare, and after airing its second episode the following week, NBC abruptly cancelled the series, burying it entirely. The remaining 11 episodes that were produced never aired, while the ones that originally aired never did again. The episodes were also never put on DVD, and to this day, not even a second of animation can be seen from the show. While a couple newspaper articles have been found that promoted the show, there were never any commercials or major promotion that could have netted the show more success. Despite all this negativity surrounding the series, there was one comment that made me realize how important this cartoon would be to find. It came from David Spade himself this past summer. Someone tagged him in a comment that stated Sammy hasn't been found yet, to which David said, I wish someone could find these episodes. I loved Sammy. Honestly, my impression of Sammy up to this point is that it was a quick summer filler show that had a big name attached to it for the sake of advertising. However, David's comments about it painted a different picture for me, that it was more of a passion project that the public misunderstood and NBC didn't take a chance on. I love when creators have passion for the work they produce, and the fact that these kind words were said all these years later made me want to find it. Fast forward to the summer of 2021, where a YouTube user simply known as Matt managed to find not only the two episodes of the show that aired in the summer of 2000, but every single one of them, which he obtained via crew member of the show. Not only that, but the shows were presented in the intended order that they were supposed to air, unlike NBC, which chose to air the shows out of order. Highlighting the commitment that the network seemed to have had at that point, the two questions we must ask ourselves, however, if NBC felt so strongly against the show as they were approving it, why bother airing it in the first place? And also, does the quality of the content match David Spade's supposed passion for the project? There's only one way to find out, For this review, we're going to be looking at two episodes from the series, the show's official pilot and the episode of the show that aired first that wasn't the pilot. Since the pilot never aired until Mr. Matt uploaded it to his YouTube page, we now have to be vague with our history notes. The Winter of 2000. Various nut jobs were disappointed that a computer glitch would never happen at the turn of the new year. Al Gore and George W. Bush will begin the arduous process of running for president, the culmination of which you can hear in episode 26. And somewhere at NBC Studios in Burbank, network executives were about to watch the show that they hoped would become their answer to King of the Hill, as we open on an infamously famous part of Los Angeles, the town of Brentwood, where police cars would once again make their way to the home of a famous person found dead in his pool Sunset Boulevard style? Bold way to introduce an animated show, I guess, but that's probably just for dramatic licensing. Yep, that's me, James Blake. One of the 50 hottest actors in Hollywood, according to teen people. Oh, yeah. You probably know me as Ryan Hayes, the guy who pretends he's gay so he can share a Manhattan apartment with a supermodel on Hey Rebecca. Pretty weird, me ending up like this, huh? Not really. Not once you know the whole story. And maybe because I've always been a worst-case scenarioist who sometimes has knee-jerk reactions, but it may be because of that opening shot that NBC decided not to air the pilot first. Because why turn the viewers off in the first minute? 
But then again, since this guy is one of the show's main characters, I'm sure there's a reason behind the move. As we introduce ourselves to Jamie's management team, who... Okay, why can't I ever seem to find play? Oh, here we go. Oh, for the love of Satan, not him again. (laughs) Bouncing, bouncing, vodka Andy Jack. You know, I tried really hard to restrain myself last time when talking about Andy Dick, but this time around, I make no promises. Yes, the human sponge monkey is in this show, as is his fellow news radio co-star and number seven on my list of all-time dream brunettes, Maura Tierney. Thanks again, Brillstein Gray, for having that connection. Anyway, the two of them plays Jamie's management team, Dig as the agent, and Tierney as the assistant. And we see the two of them previewing the trailer for Jamie's first movie. Once in every generation, there comes a man who makes everyone want to be a little bit better, try a little bit harder, love his fellow man just a little bit more. This isn't one of those men, not by a long shot. Now that is going to dent my butt. Ah, yes, the ubiquitous catchphrase of the new millennium. Kind of fits in nicely between bite my shiny metal ass and don't have a cow, man, don't you think? Now that is going to dent my butt. But before that can be printed ad nauseum on a t-shirt, we're introduced to a different kind of nauseum. Ladies and gentlemen, meet Sanny. Open up, I'm here to see my son, Jamie. Your name? Blake, Sammy Blake. Don't see it here. Sue told me it wouldn't be a problem. Sue? Damn, there's always a Sue. Give me the phone. Hey, does it look like his nose caught on fire and they put it out with a rake? (laughs) Yep. Oh, that's my dad. Don't let him in. At the risk of judging a book by its cover based on the few lines of dialogue that Sammy had in the first minute, is it fair to say that this is probably one of the most obnoxious characters ever animated? Don't answer that yet until we hear him participate in the opening credits. The central theme of which is that he's virtually shunned by everybody he comes across when all Sammy is looking for is a low five. Low five! Low five! This is our main character, ladies and gentlemen. The guy whose name is in the title. And while it's not uncommon for a TV show's main character to be somewhat unlikable, either in curmudgeonly or anti-heroic ways, at least they have some semblance of charm to back themselves up. In just three minutes of showtime, we're introduced to a guy who seems to have nothing likable about him whatsoever. Or at least that's how it looks at first glance. And I only hope that I'm jumping the gun here. Act 2 begins with Jamie giving Sammy a courtesy lift to his house. And being the charmer that he is, we find out the reasons that Sammy appears out of the blue. Which I'm sure are perfectly logical ones. This is your last chance, Blake. Pay up or else. I can't come up with that kind of ching. Who do you think I am, Oprah? Now that is gonna dent my butt. Starring James Blake. You're gonna want a bung, go for it. Jamie? Because nothing says father of the year like an absentee parent looking to milk the cash cow that is his son's success drier than the Sahara. Sigmund Freud would have a field day, I'm sure. The two of them arrive at Jamie's mansion where we meet the next member of his family, his brother Todd, voiced by Harlan Williams. The best way I could describe this character is oversized, kind-hearted, naive doofus with the best of intentions. Dad? Is that you? Great to see you, Dad. I see Todd still managing to elude that anorexia bug that's been going around. Apparently, he uses food to fill small voids in his life, like, let's say, growing up fatherless. We then cut to the next day, where Jamie is involved with a photo shoot for his new movie. Now that is gonna dent my butt. Come here or high water, it will be a catchphrase. Sammy tries to add some creative input to the process. If I could jump in here for a second... Uh, why not have little Jamie jump off the diving board onto the beach ball? That's a terrible idea. He'll break the ball. Break the ball! So we get it in one. Oh, yeah, I said in one. Hmm. What a queer notion. Although, if... Yes, it just might... All right, everybody! (gasps) Let's reset for the diving board! 
And no, your ears don't deceive you. That is indeed comedian David Cross as the photographer, one of several minor roles that he'll be playing on the show. And since we remind you that this is a Brillstein Gray production, where would David Cross be without... Satan, I damn thee! You goddamn motherfucking shit-eating, cocksucking son of a bee! Can I get a fucking A? But we'll get to him in a minute. Meanwhile, after being assigned to answer all of Jamie's phone calls, Sammy and Todd play catch-up. Look, I need a right-hand man. And because no one else is around, I happen to believe that man is you. Gee, I I don't know, Dad. I mean, I kind of work for Jamie. That's the beauty of it. Now you work for me, but Jamie will still be the one who pays you. Everybody wins! And now we get to meet Bob. God damn it! Bob Odenkirk is here as the third brother of the family, Gary. And as we'll see, where Jamie is more ambivalent of the three brothers and Todd is more sympathetic, Gary tends to veer towards the negative side. What are you up to? Why the antagonistic tone, my boy? Gee, I don't know. Maybe because you left mom and us kids high and dry? And once we find out more about how Sammy left the boys twisting in the wind way back when... It'll be easy to understand why. You're insane! I remember the exact moment you left us like it was yesterday! Okay, boys, it's the last play. Let's make it count. Hail Mary, everybody go deep on one. Hut, hut, hut one! Oh, boys, deeper! 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 Hey! I remember that. But as is the case in most dysfunctional families, don't ask how I know this for certain, it's usually the most angry of the family that tries to do damage control. As Gary tries to talk some sense into Jamie for hiring Sammy in the first place. How could you give Sammy all that responsibility? What responsibility? He's sitting at his desk in there like he's the president of show business. Well, to tell you the truth, I kind of like having him around. But if he screws up, he's gone. I just don't want to see anybody get hurt again. Come on, Gary. He's the only dad we've got. (laughs) What is that noise? That's the sweetest thing I've ever heard one of you kids say about me. Well, I meant it. No, not that. I'm talking about when Gary said I was the president of show business. And also typical of dysfunctional families, the root of all family problems being completely oblivious as to what's going on, as Sammy continues to do the same thing while given an important task. Anything I can help you with? I wish I have to get these premiere tickets to everyone on this list. Hmm, premiere tickets. Consider it done. That's okay, it's not your problem. It is now. A task that we see him do in the middle of the night. So it's safe to assume that Sammy did his job with little to no complications. I'm lying through my teeth, of course. Cue the hookers! Looking to party, mister? Yes, in fact, I am, young lass. And the party is this Friday at Man's Chinese Theater. I get to go to a movie premiere? Easy, ladies, easy. One per hooker. Really makes you pine for the days of father knows best, doesn't it? And as if that wasn't enough, Sammy also gets to do some unauthorized script doctoring on a yet-to-be-made sequel to Jamie's movie. Now that is gonna dent my butt. Love it, accept it, market it. Anyway, here's David Spade talking to another David Cross character. Hello, is this Ron McKee, the alleged screenwriter? Yeah, this is Ron. I was just reading your third revised draft of Mongo Man 2, and I had a couple notes. Yeah, but I was under the impression James Blake wanted to do the sequel. Not until we work out the kinks in the second act, he doesn't. Do you have a copy of Mango Man in front of you? Yeah, it's Mongo Man, not Mango Man. I'm glad you brought that up, because the title is another bone of contention this dog can't swallow. You can't change the title of a sequel! Whoa! sure I like your can't-do attitude. So, to recap all the do-gooding that Sammy has done since he arrived, he has... Snuck into a movie set without any clearance while avoiding bill collectors. Interfered with his son's photo shoot. Convinced the big dumb son to spend Jamie's money needlessly on pointless security equipment. Distribute movie premiere tickets to ladies of the evening instead of important Hollywood executives. And jeopardize his son's chances to participate in his movie's sequel. Wanna take this one, Bob? God damn it! Act 3 begins with the night of the premiere. And Sammy can't help but make a few select comments towards how the animators chose to interpret the likeness of... 
of all people, actress Sybil Shepard. Say, isn't that the broad from Moonlighting? She seems to have let herself go as of late. She's a little chunky in the monkey. A little large in the barge. Mushy in the tushy. Got some kegs in the legs. Loose in the caboose. Tore up from the floor up low five. Bravo, bravo. Congratulations, Sammy. That 20 seconds of nonsense contributed absolutely nothing. You know, like deadbeat dads tend to do aside from a sperm sample. So at least I give you points for doing your job. Not unlike the job he did fixing the Mongo Man sequel script. The fruit of which will bear in three, two... Your father told me all about your rewrites on the script. You're pathetic. Oh, Ron! The, okay, this is very bad. Very bad. We, we, we've got to find Schnitzer. Who? Schnitzer! Schnitzer! Arnold Schnitzer, the MM2 producer. Come on! But I thought this was a done deal! And speaking of damage being done, it's time to put the oldest profession on parade. While at the same time, we get to see another reenactment of something that, more than likely, once upon a time, allegedly went on in Andy Dick's personal life. I suggest that you move immediately. Hey, I ain't moving for nobody. This is Arnold Schnitzer's seat! Okay, it's go time. I think I'm being bitch slapped! (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, As flawed as this show is so far, two good things have come out of it. One is the Mongo Man tagline. Now that is gonna dent my butt. And two is a genuine laugh involving Andy Dick. I think I'm being bitch slapped! But in spite of the minor traces of joy we seem to be witnessing, Jamie realizes that his life is heading down the toilet, and all because of Mr. Deadbeat trying to butt in where his butt doesn't belong, as evident in this sorta intervention. In hindsight, one could probably surmise that mistakes were made. You think? You blew a $5 million movie deal, Sammy. $5 million! Dad face it, you screwed up big time. Where is it written... That women in the sex industry can't go to movie premieres. Someone show me where. I hope you've learned something from all of this, Jamie. Don't get bitch slapped. Meanwhile, for some reason that's never 100% fully explained, the deal for the Mongo Man sequel actually goes forward after some good old-fashioned Hollywood schmoozing. Good news, Jamie. I just called Arnold Schnitzer. Did a little crying, begging, pleading, whatnot. Now, don't get your hopes up, but I think I've finally massaged him into a good place. You're right, I believe the massage part. But what to do about poor Sammy? Already feeling shut out in the cold thanks to his bumbling and potentially career-ending at his son's expense antics, all he really wanted was to be part of the family again, even though he's probably done more damage in a single half-hour of television than Scott Rudin on an average Tuesday. What could possibly justify him to stick around? Aside from the fact that this is only the pilot episode, and really, what other conclusion could there be? Can I tell you my favorite thing about last night? The fact that my dad, Sammy Blake, actually made an effort to show up at one of the big events in my life. I guess I could have been there for you more. Or once. Hey, wait a minute. I turned up at other big events in your life? Name one. Your birth! Oh, they found you in the broom closet with a nurse. For the hundredth time, I was teaching her how to wrestle. Why does no one believe me? And while it's fine and good that an absentee father is being given a second chance, one question has yet to be answered. Why and how was Jamie floating dead in his pool at the beginning? Okay, so maybe I wasn't able to explain how I ended up drowning in my own pool. But you've got to admit, it is a pretty cool shot. I told you. I told you it was dramatic licensing, but you didn't believe me. Why didn't you believe me? Regardless of a cop-out ending, NBC really had no idea what to do here. Once again, because this was an animated series, 13 episodes were already produced and ready to go. Not only that, but David Spade was the star of an existing NBC hit show, and the other voice talents involved were involved with a rather sizable talent and production company. For NBC to reject the show at this point would probably be akin to potentially burning multiple bridges. So, with little recourse at their disposal, NBC had no choice but to greenlight the series for a run in the summer of 2000, on the condition that the pilot episode that they witnessed would not be the first one that aired. 
that episode would actually be the third one produced. And we'll cover that one, as well as the rest of Sammy's struggles... After the break. Yes, I'd like to redeem my credit card miles to flight to Vegas. No. How's next month? One second. All blacked out. But I'm getting married. Oh, that's awesome. But no. No. How about Reno? Play some Kino in the casino. Can I use my miles or not? Let me check with my supervisor. I'm getting a no. Go from no to no hassle with Capital One No Hassle Rewards. Fly any airline anytime with no blackout dates. Check your mailbox for details. I'm calling Capital One. No! Hey, what's in your wallet? This week on Telehell's premium content of the Dan. Introducing the new Pepsi Stuff Catalog. Pepsi you drink, the more great stuff you're going to get. Sure beats the bus. <laughs> the only way to listen to Telehell's premium content of the damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast. For just a few bucks a month, you can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. And now, back to this week's torture. August 8th, 2000. Al Gore and George W. Bush would continue the arduous process of running for president the culmination of which you can once again hear in episode 26. Pop music tastes fluctuated between boy bands, alternative rock, and country ballads. And at 8.30, 7.30 Central, anybody who saw this for the first time probably had a few questions to ask themselves. Things like... Who are these people? Because as we said, this is the third episode of the show that was produced, but the first episode that aired. The whole point of a pilot is to find out who people are and why they're existing in the world that's created for them. Going out of order to introduce the show, while surprisingly not uncommon in TV history, is probably going to lead to a lot of confusion, especially after looking at the real pilot. Confusion that's perfectly justified as we look at the opening salvo between father and son discussing their failed romantic conquest from the night before. So what happened to your date last night? Was she on to the popcorn surprise? It's not just for the movies, Jamie. It didn't look like you closed either laugh a minute. Yeah, just when it started to get hot and heavy, she decided it was a bad idea. They all have their excuses. I don't know you well enough. My parents will hear us. I'm already behind on my student loan and this is confusing me more. Just quit the grinning and drop the linen. We're going to do some sinning, baby! This would be as good a time as any to look at some of the great words of wisdom that even greater TV fathers have given throughout history. For instance, Ward Cleaver teaching the Beeves some life lessons. Son, we'd all like to have the most glamorous, exciting parents in the world. But we just have to accept things the way God gives them to us. Mike Brady doing the same thing but in color and with six kids. No, I'm disappointed in you. You're quitting. That's not how you cope with problems. Stop moping around. If you don't like your personality, improve it. Stephen Keaton doing the same thing, but with 60s ideology. That is not true. You had a very good chance, but you were afraid to face it head on. You made damn sure you turned Wurtz down before he could turn you down. And Sammy Blake telling his son about the joys of hookers. First, make sure she's not a cop. Second, don't be afraid to haggle. They expect it as part of the game. And third, if you enjoy this service, get a card, a beeper number, a street corner, something low-fi. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you tell? And as a reminder, this aired on prime time on a broadcast TV network. A thought to ponder as the boys wish our next character a happy birthday... Their mother, voiced by Julia Sweeney, who we see is both happily and gratefully remarried. Hello? 
Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Oh, you remembered. They remembered. Oh, those boys of yours. That's the, uh, ah, that's the good stuff. But all the celebration is derailed once she realizes that Sammy seems to have taken permanent residency in Jamie's home. Jamie, is your father there? What? You mean that first guy you married? No. Hey, can we use the hot tub in your bathroom for a few hours? Betsy wore out the motor in the one in the guest house. You're the one who kept cranking up the jets. I had so many bubbles up my ass, I thought I could fly. Once again, primetime broadcast TV. And while Jamie wonders if his mom is taking the news well, in spite of it being the worst possible thing that could happen, along comes Maxwell's smart son with our B-plot. Okay, remember when you came to me last year and told me that acting wasn't enough for you and what you really wanted to be was an author? No. Let me handle this, Mark. You know who all those sitcom stars write those stupid books and make a fortune off them? Oh, yeah, and I wanted to be one of them. It's due Monday. I can't write an entire book over a weekend. Not with that attitude. (laughs) That's nothing. Try writing an episode of a podcast in about two weeks' time with limited information. And the B-plot is on pause now as Jamie tries to smooth things over with his mom, who seems to be making some sudden movements. You know... Even if he was a terrible father, that doesn't mean he can't at least be a friend now, right? I understand. And believe it or not, he is trying to get his act together. (laughs) Attention, swimmers! There's been a sighting of a great white Sammy in these waters. I mean, he's not perfect, but he's the only father I have. I hear you loud and clear, sweetheart. Translation, Mama Sweeney has dropped everything so that she can head cross-country to L.A. to stop Sammy from inflicting further harm, like airing the episodes of this show out of order. Granted, she would have to travel to Burbank instead of Brentwood to do that, but why split hairs? Act 2 begins with Mom and Stepdad at the front door, much to Jamie's disappointment. Mom? I just got off the phone with you like two hours ago. What are you... I couldn't leave you here alone with your father running around on the loose. Oh, I thought you said you were fine with it. Oh, I am fine with it. Don't I seem fine with it? Now, where's our room? Sammy reconnects with his estranged wife and not as estranged second husband. I don't believe I've had the pleasure. Steve Lapeer, I'm your worst nightmare. What's that, friend? Steve Lapeer, I'm your worst nightmare. Hey, look, everybody, grandkids. Cute, huh? What do you say? Everyone back to their corners? End around one? What's that? More characters were introduced to that we probably should have been introduced to in the pilot, but we don't actually get to meet them because NBC was in a bit of a scheduling panic? Sure, why not? But since they only appear in a four-second throwaway gag, let's get back to the B-plot, where Andy Dick continues to dick around when it comes to Jamie's book writing assignment. I just wanted to get you up to speed. I talked to the book people, sort of had it out with them. And? They want it tomorrow. What? Seriously, you should sit down right now and write the book, and tomorrow we'll just throw it in their faces. You know, show them what a what a bunch of idiots they are. Hmm. Andy Dick writing a book. I wonder how that story will go. I remember saying, we need to make a fire. But I wanted to make a fire out back. A bonfire. So I got a shovel and I dug a hole in their yard. Big old five-foot in diameter hole and just started taking the logs and putting them in there and, we, and, and and as I'm carrying logs out I broke the window pane of the door and then I stacked them up and I made this giant bonfire in their backyard nobody was stopping me I'm a little bit of a pyromaniac I love fire so we had this giant fire going in their backyard I went into blackout mode and somehow I crawled up onto the table and laid my head onto one of the overstuffed stockings. Fell asleep. The next thing I knew, my ex was shoving me, saying, Andy, get up. I was laying on the dining room table on top of all of the stockings, and I had wet myself and all of the stockings. We were just laying in a giant puddle of my own urine. Sweet mother of... Uh, um... And while that B-plot continues to pad out time further than a show on Adult Swim, we join the family at breakfast. Do you want some toast with your eggs, sweetheart? Why, thank you, Marie. Hey, 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 she was talking to me, bucko. Don't mind him, dear. We just have to pretend like he's not even here. Lord knows I'm trying to, Marie. Okay, that's it. You and me, outside. 
After you. Steve! Uh, Jamie wants to show you the sights. You know, all the stuff you wanted to see. One car ride later, Jamie is taking George Bluth Sr. sightseeing. All the while, Sammy tries reconnecting with the ex. Only for the ex to remind him why he's human garbage. Hey, hey, Your Honor, can we make this quick? I got a thing. Your Honor, not once in the past ten years has the defendant even attempted to pay child support or alimony. Ten years, Your Honor. Is that right, Mr. Blake? Well, technically this is true. What with the dune buggy upkeep and the brunches. Thirty days prison. Next. Our hero, ladies and gentlemen. If he's not chasing skirts, he's skirting the law. Certainly a role model for kids of all ages. Speaking of... Let's get to Sammy having some quality time with the grandkids and using them as potential tools for ex-flirting. Yes, ma'am, there's some good kids, aren't they? The best. Think of it. Without you and me together, they wouldn't be here. Oh, Sammy. Yes, sir. It all started when we were doing what we did best, eh, Marie? Stop. You're terrible. Oh, you're awful. Okay, quick lesson in cadences and tones. If somebody says, you're awful, like this... You're awful! That means you've done something bad. If, on the other hand, you say it like this... Oh, you're awful. It means that somebody's panties are about to drop. At least in the world of TV, mileage in the human world may vary. Meanwhile, Jamie and his stepdad are out seeing the sights. When a broken back creates a... compromising position. Uh, uh. There she goes. That's the back. Seriously, Steve, I need to leave now. I can't do it, Jim. Didn't you hear the pop? Oh, yeah. She's out. <laughs> and then some. Oh, this will quash the gay rumors. Meanwhile, back at the house, Mama Sweeney looks like she's about to get swayed by Sammy's smarmy charms once again. But not if Saul Goodman has anything to say about it. I'll kill him. I'll kill him right now. Help me find a rake to put in his cold, dead hand so it looks like self-defense. Calm down. This is what I wanted. They're not hating each other for once. What the hell is Mom doing? Well, look at that. They're getting back together. Yeah, they are. And while a fantasy sequence plays, I find myself asking the same question that I asked when covering Howie Mandel's good grief back in episode 51. Is this show really as bad as they say it is. Granted, so far the only thing that's really worth complaining about is the idea that we're supposed to be finding a deadbeat dad somebody to root for during an entire series. And yet, in spite of more hooker jokes than allowed by primetime TV censors, there's something bizarrely lovable about the character of Sammy. No. No, that can't be right. There has to be something else about this show that people hated. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been on for just two episodes. We'll keep digging as Jamie snaps out of it in order to restore the status quo. Oh my god, I gotta break him up before it's too late for Mom. And Steve. And Sammy. Act 3 of Episode 3, Disguises Episode 1, begins with Sammy continuing to make the moves on the X. And even though he was originally keen on the idea of them getting back together, there's still the matter of that whole she's married to someone else thing. Hey, Jamie, after a steady diet of Steve, you can't blame her if she wants to splurge on little Sammy Sunday. Sammy, she's not a tramp, all right? She's my mom, and I'm not going to let you hurt her again. Easy, buddy. I'm all about the family unit. Yeah, I know. You're all about your unit. Sweet dreams, handsome. Think healing thoughts. When he wakes up, tell him I went out for a little ride. No! Mm, I don't know. That no seems a little unconvincing. Maybe something more appropriate would have worked, like... Now that is gonna dent my butt. How that never caught on, I don't know. Sammy continues to make his moves, while Jamie chases Mom and Cad to an inspiration point of sorts, where Jamie reminds Mama Sweeney of the pit that she's about to fall back into. I know this must seem strange to you, Jamie. When I first showed up at your door, I was determined to protect you from Sammy the Monster. But now I see he's just a man. A man with flaws like any other. But, Mom, I'm just... Let us be the parents for a while, okay? But you're not even acting like parents. You got... Go home, Jamie. And again, I'm really not seeing anything that would prompt NBC to slam the brakes on the show. Aside from maybe a couple of things that would probably cause the show to air an hour later than it was scheduled to. But I still see character development. I still see complexities. 
I still see nuances. Dare I say it, I see a good show. But why am I seeing a good show before my eyes when the reputation behind it is mythologically bad? Maybe something in the last five minutes might clue me in. Here it is. And it's gold, Jamie. Gold! Oh, right. That's still happening. Uh, Skip it and get to the part where, thanks to one of his hoes on the go, Sammy and the ex split up. Please? Can you believe it? The dune buggy broke down again. There was lipstick on the collar when I bought it. I'm telling you, I was at the fish market. For the hundredth time, I was teaching her how to wrestle. I forgot something, too. What's that? What an ass you are. Status quo restored. But not without one more cold splash of self-delusion. Dad, I hate to break it to you, but Mom is not interested in you. You keep telling yourself that, Jamie. But it wouldn't work out anyway. Don't get me wrong, I love your mother and always will. It's just, your father's got far more love to give than any one woman could handle. You are incredible, Sammy. That's what I hear. Clink me! So, that was Sammy. The first episode that aired, which turned out to be the third produced. One more show would air the following week, but it wouldn't matter. The show would get cancelled after those two shows aired, and the remaining 11 episodes produced would not see the light of day. Until just last year, thanks to people who were eager to seek out lost media. But given what little of it we've seen... Did it deserve a cruel and unusual punishment? Hopefully the punishment that we give in the Nine Circles is slightly more justified. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery! We've already mentioned that the shows have been found and, as of press time, are being posted to YouTube. But it's the original broadcast that matter here, so we have to place it in limbo on principle. The big selling point of the show was that this guy comes in after years of being an absentee parent, and all of a sudden, he tries to make things right in seemingly non-parental ways, up to and including a lot of lust-related overtures, as well as the frustration that he causes involving some of his family, including Bob Odenkirk's character especially, and knowing how far he can go in a wrathful performance sometimes, a PG-rated TV show can only make him do so much. God damn it! But then comes the matter of the show itself, and just exactly how and why NBC wound up doing an about-face on it, even though they seemed to be excited in the first place. Sure, it would be easy to blame things on low ratings, but the show aired during the summer, when few people watch TV anyway. It couldn't have been because of the reviews they got, because even if they got the worst that they could get, 13 shows were still produced, and they inevitably had to be burnt off no matter what the critics said. So, if you want to know the real reason why Sammy not only got cancelled, but got swept under the rug entirely, take it away, L Supersonic Q. Much to my surprise, Matt had been able to get in contact with a handful of crew members who I didn't even find in my time searching, and who weren't documented on the crew list. What I found most interesting about these contacts were the stories they told about production on Sammy. You might have thought this entire time Sammy was cancelled from poor ratings, but these crew members paint a very different picture. Sammy was produced as part of NBC's venture into animation, along with God, the Devil, and Bob. This cartoon aired prior to Sammy's premiere, but received horrible ratings, contributing to a change in management. The new executives wanted to get rid of animated programs completely, but Sammy was already under contract to air its first two episodes, so it was constantly pushed back and delayed. Once these two episodes were aired, the show was officially cancelled, Sammy was doomed from the start and never really had a chance to get popular at all. God the Devil and Bob was pitched to Adult Swim later on, where it received a second life, but NBC refused to sell Sammy and decided it would be left to rot instead. So, there you have it. The show wasn't taken off the air because it was bad or doing bad in the ratings. It was taken off because NBC had too much of a knee-jerk reaction to a show that they already seemed to put their peacock eggs in the basket of. And, not unlike our patron saint, once a new regime at the network swoops in, they pretty much do away with the old regime's hopes, dreams, and, in some cases, mistakes. Sammy died an undignified death due to network treachery. And that's lower than any low five. 
The show is not a masterpiece by any means, but unlike many of the other things that we've covered down here, Sammy deserved a much better chance and fate than it wound up ultimately receiving. Sammy earns four out of nine circles of telehell. But even though there are many, many flaws with the show itself, it's still worth checking out. As of this recording, the YouTube user, simply known as Matt, has posted the first eight episodes of the show with only five to go. And for what it's worth, the people who put the show together worked their asses off to make it, and it's a little comforting to know that their work won't go completely to waste. Go watch Sammy, see it, and judge it for yourself. In El Supersonic Q's video, he posted a tweet that David Spade himself made regarding the show, stating his disappointment that things didn't work out. But more than that, the notion that this was a better fit for cable. An apt point. If the show aired on Adult Swim or Comedy Central, it'd probably be on its 20th season by now. Next time on Telehell, if you've ever believed at one point that it truly is a wonderful life, you don't want to be this guy. Besides, what's the difference? I still don't have anybody. I'm the same as the first time I met you. Then why don't you go ahead and kill yourself? And send you back to heaven a failure? <laughs> You'll never become an angel. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you think I'm from heaven? <laughs> Until then. If it's not in telehell, it's not worth a damn. A reminder of our schedule shift. Effective immediately, telehell will be a bi-weekly program. Our next episode will be dropping on December 12th. Also, if we made a mistake in this or any other episode, please let us know on our all-new complaint line. Email us the mistakes you hear at telehellpodcast at gmail.com. Please be civil when you do, and we'll be sure to acknowledge what we got wrong at a future time. This episode in particular was a very difficult one to research due to how little information we could find about it. So, once again, we thank El Supersonic Q on YouTube for letting us borrow his video about Sammy. Find him all over the socials at L, the word Super, Sonic, and a Q at the end. Our announcer is Mike Porter. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. Now that everybody is getting mysterious chemicals injected into their arms, that can only mean one thing. It's almost safe to socialize with people again. So why not get a head start on that and follow us on our social feeds, Twitter and Facebook, both at Telehell Podcast. By the way, shows like these aren't cheap. Do what you can and can what you do at patreon.com slash Podcast. Now that is going to dent my butt.